1: Hey everyone, we're running just a tad bit late on this week's episode, so we're going to go ahead and give you a Patreon special that was released earlier this year that I recorded with my friend Emily Vanderharden about the Hellraiser franchise enjoy and don't forget to check out our patreon actually because we do a lot of work on there tons and tons and tons of hours of content just early access the bitches on x series that we do about the x-men priya Sixena and i so yeah check those out if it sounds good to you it's patreon.com slash queerspec and otherwise just enjoy the ride i guess this is all about hellraiser and the sites that they must show you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is a Bitches on Comics Patreon special, exclusive, limited edition. You can't find this anywhere else. It's Patreon only. Welcome. So I, of course, I'm Sarah Century. You've met me if you've listened to anything else. And it's going to be actually really surprising if this was the very first thing you jumped in on. I would assume that makes you a huge Hellraiser fan. If so, welcome to you especially because I'm also a huge Hellraiser fan. Now, I would also refer to one of my closest friends from way back in the day, back in the Seattle days, which is a time period we do not reference often. <laughs> <laughs> but it exists, and some good things came out of it. One of which was my friendship with Hellraiser aficionado <laughs> <laughs> Emily Vanderharton. Welcome to the podcast, Emily. How are you today?
2: oh thank you thank you for the warm welcome uh i am doing all right today um (laughs) i am simply a fan simply a fan of hellraiser (laughs) you know and all of the wonderful things that come with this universe the sights
1: (laughs) (laughs) the sights that they've shown me you know (laughs) yes so let's see you i'm trying to think like what i can say about you because there is the seeds and beans which Uh, is a really fun account that I love. And so if you want to tell people just a little bit about that. So
2: I started in like May of 2021. I was really, really stressed out about stuff and started and just, you know, I had to get, I, I had to get that stress out and uh, the usual suspects weren't uh, <laughs> panning out. So one day my uh, now spouse and I went to the a craft store and I saw a seed bead kit, and I was like, oh, "I'm going to start doing this." And so, I bought it, and then started making like little seed bead tapestries. And now, I kind of have a bit of an obsession with it, which I guess is par for the is apropos for this because hobbies <laughs> are <raisers laughs> all about obsession. That's why yes. I would, that's why I would play with the boxes, like because <laughs> I want to make sure I can still do seed beads <laughs> and do them in health. So yeah, I yeah I have a. An Instagram called "Seed Beads All Over the Floor" because I, I spill them all the time. Last night I I spilled a big thing of seed beads that I really needed for a project, and it was really frustrating. But that's okay. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> uh, I just I make up patterns in my head, and then it's so slow that you can change that. You know, it's it's a really arduous process. But that is something that I enjoy is the te- the tedium. You know, the tedium and the suffering. So. <laughs> <laughs> of, of making art
1: yeah well what I was gonna say is that when you say that you're doing these bead patterns, I think that one thing to keep in mind too is is that they are so small like this is like the smallest beads I've ever seen in my life that you're like making these beautiful designs out of uh, yeah
2: they're yeah seed beads come in many different sizes. I started on Ra you seed bead seed beaters out there, uh, if there are any of you. Um, started out with like 11s, which are like pretty small. Then I went with to 15s and that's all I do. They're the teeniest, tiniest size you can get, I'm pretty sure. A lot of people are very frustrated by them, but I I love them. I'm like, I, I know this is going to take longer, but this feels like a textile. It feels like like snake skin or something you know like like if you're, oh, it does. if you're petting a
1: snake it's it feels wonderful and i speaking as somebody who has spent time petting these beautiful creations I, it does feel like that and no danger of being bitten for the most part Correct. i was gonna say it. that you make these really um, I haven't seen one in a minute but I'm not on Instagram too much but I loved the video that you made where you were just very calmly explaining your process (laughs) and being like that's okay like the whole time I was like this is so therapeutic I would watch this for like two hours
2: yeah uh, I've made two I think I've posted (laughs) two videos out of you know and and uh, what's kind of funny about them is that I don't really explain anything. I just kind of, I'm like, Oh, so I just do it like this. And then it's, I'm really clumsy because I know that I'm recording myself. So it looks even worse. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, uh, I think as you know, I, I'm glad that you said that it, it looks therapeutic because that's really the point you know is that it's just really it helps me calm down and helps my very anxious ADHD depressed depression brain (laughs) um, kind of process things and it just gives me some space to not think about anything except for the colors and the combinations and the patterns so It's lovely.
1: I was going to say, and I mean this like as a compliment, that you are one of the people who I do believe would open the box. (laughs) You th- well, I know the curiosity, right? The curiosity, I think, is what would absolutely kill you. I think that I am the person who there would be like somebody tangentially around me who would open the box and then I would be trying to like navigate the situation. Oh, yeah. Or, like you
2: accidentally get cut. Like if we're talking about the most recent one, like, yeah,
1: <laughs> I know I w- I'm a Nora, right? Like I'm just like trying yeah. just there trying to be supportive Shh. and then. (laughs)
2: Oh my god, but then you get curious about going into that door, I would not do that, I don't want to go through a door. That's not something i want to do. I'm like rocking You have a back different
1: curiosity. <laughs> You'd be like staring at the box for days and then eventually be like, I think I've got this figured out. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Something that's kind of
2: interesting is like in the Hellbound Heart, let's just jump right into it. Um,
1: yeah. We can, we'll start at the Hellbound Heart, actually, because that is the first thing. That's the story that, you know, begins it all. Right. In the Hellbound Heart, it just it sounded. It really felt like it took
2: Frank a long time to figure out the combination, and you know, figure out how to how to solve this puzzle. And then in the movies, it seems less and less complicated for someone to figure it out. It's just like, oh, I'm holding this box, and like, oh, oh, it opened, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, um, I uh, so I think that's really interesting that he had in the Hellbound Heart. He has to do these rituals, I think part of like what it's like a a platter of like some number of uh, beheaded uh, doves, um, so their heads on a platter and then also his pee in a jar, things that are really, really embarrassing, things like that. And then also, so he had to do a lot to prepare. For this, this like ritual, essentially, of calling in the Cenobites for whatever pleasure he wanted to experience, you know,
1: he actually gets, you know, Cenobites, which he doesn't want.
2: No, he doesn't. He kept talking. He's like, Oh, I'm expecting these supple i don't know supple was the word like glistening. no he was being
1: weird right (laughs) like frank sucks so we can say that he's a very weird guy who's like out here trying to he's like they're going to be covered with oil and like always want to have sex every minute and then i will be fulfilled and you're just like yuck dude (laughs) i know it's like really is that what your
2: whole is that what the point of your existence is? I don't know. That's just awful. For Frank, it is. Yeah. yeah for frank for frank because is. he's yeah.
1: like an absolute scumbag. Yeah. So I will, we, we listen. It's this novel from 1986. Mm-hmm. So the turnaround on this was like lightning fast. It got turned into a movie so quick. Yeah. Like it was only a couple of years, right? Well,
2: 1987 is when the first one came out. So it was really, <sighs> yeah. I mean, maybe. I did watch a documentary that said that Clive Barker wrote *The Hellbound Heart* with a, a movie in mind. You know, mm. which makes sense because it's so yeah, it's like easy to adapt into a movie. Reading *The Hellbound Heart* made me feel a lot more connected to Kirsty, for instance, um, connected to the, I guess even to Julia, which
0: is weird, but yeah.
1: <laughs> they give her more space. Yeah. Like that's even Frank, honestly. Like yeah. that's kind of the thing, except everybody except for Rory. <laughs>
0: Rory, you're just
1: like, you're kind of just a rube, like no matter what context is given to you, you're just kind of a bumbling dude off to the side who all of this stuff is playing out around you and you just, it doesn't even register.
2: Yeah. I mean, I noticed that in most most of the time when Rory is mentioned, he's always drunk or like trying to schmooze with some big league executive or something like I know his job. And it's like, oh, okay. I, I, every time Frank ends up, you know, we end up reading about Frank or something and he's just such a gross, like, you know, rapist essentially in, yeah. in every sense of the word. Um, even, even the scene where Julia's thinking about oh Frank la de la It, it, it really sounded like he forced her into it and I don't I don't know like It was just, like, ugh, gross. I I don't like him at all. So
1: Yeah, she had a pretty complex psychology in the book Mm -hmm. where you were kind of like, huh. And then also you're kind of, it's like she cannot stop thinking about this person. Yeah. And it's just an interesting dynamic between those two. And in the end, she is so evil. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. you don't feel like he's, it's like, there's that, moment where she's like he's literally just kind of like a skeleton with a few shreds of like me on him mm-hmm. and she's just like I'm like not scared like you are so pathetic <laughs> like, yeah and so but he's just like I will come back and like we can be in love and that's what makes her go and commit a series of murders yes and so that is where you kind of go oh this is like not a victim. Anymore, Mm -hmm. you know, this is somebody who has chosen to uh, do really terrible things. Something that I was kind of surprised by is how much the movie just follows it like the story of the Hellbound heart pretty identically. There's a few yes. changes which we can talk about. Probably the biggest one is is that Kirsty has a is like a co-worker with a crush on Rory in yes. the book. And of course if you've seen Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2, you know that Kirsty is Rory's daughter. Yeah. Very weird. It's such a strange change up. And we were trying to kind of theorize why <laughs> it had turned out that that had happened, like why they made that change. And it was basically like people People probably just wanted incest. to have the incest <laughs> thread. They're like, no, he's like awful, awful. Like, he's super awful. Yeah, And it's just like, no, we know. Like, you didn't really have to do that. And then, um, <laughs> I don't know. It's an interesting thing. I do know that a lot of this was inspired by Clyde Barker. Obviously, you know, we know Clyde Barker is a gay man. Mm-hmm. And he worked as a hustler, you know, and he was, um, he was a theater guy I as well and it talked taught- I think his experiences in like S&M clubs made him kind of move on to be like let's talk about this more in depth Mm -hmm. and in this kind of um, in this way where I see the extremes that I don't like right because it's it doesn't seem to me like it's a judgmental movie I think that like the context could easily be like it's telling you that leather culture is bad or something I don't think that that's true yeah it doesn't strike me that way it's Strikes me as somebody who is exploring the extreme of it though, right? Where it's just like every subculture has like an extreme evil and the Cenobites are kind of like the the culmination, I guess, of how, how people who really are just seeking out this extreme of sensation could be um, getting more than what they think that they're going to get, right?
2: Yeah, and I kind of think that, you know, just thinking about like, evil and all this stuff it to to me i i feel like the cenobites are almost like the most neutral party
1: like <laughs> they
2: kind of are, are yeah. right
1: like they're just showing up and being like uh, you, you did this <laughs>
2: Yeah, exactly. And I will say though, there's not a lot of like before care or after care in in hellraiser unfortunately, <laughs> which like, yeah. I think is a, you know, important in in um, you know, BDSM culture. That's what I hear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they've done away with that here. <laughs> they did and they're no, there're no safe words. So No. <laughs> yeah. I do I do kind of want to explore that idea of like the cenobites being kind of more like neutral territory. Because I, I think in a lot of ways, characters in the movies and in the books, you know, we're we're looking at this through the lens of like Christianity. I think, right? That's how the the humans in this in this uh, story are looking at it, and the Cenobites are constantly like, "No, that's not that's not what hell is. That's not like there there is no heaven. You know, what what we're angels to some, demons to others. You know, obviously they they bring on the pain and the suffering and all that stuff, but it's only because they were asked. To do so,
1: yeah they they don't care about you particularly, like which is very dominatrix, uh, right? Yes, we've come <laughs> like, to collect. They're, yeah. they're just like, look, you called me to do a job, and I'm here to do the job, okay. and uh, you know,
2: yeah, they're also kind of like a monkey's paw, I suppose, too, aren't they? Because they, they there's a lot of stuff about I don't know, there's a lot of trickster energy with them, uh, where they're just very very tricky. You know, someone may think, well. I'm going to be promised all these riches or all this stuff uh, or all this pleasure. And they're like, well, we're certainly going to show you something on the rims of sensation, you know, which I'm like, leave my rim out of this. But like, also.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Back (laughs) off, Cinebites.
2: But yeah, I mean, going back to whether I would open the box, I guess if I guess I could. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty gullible. I'm easily
1: persuaded. I don't think the people are (laughs) gullible, though. Like, I think that, first of all, it's just a box. Like, when you look at it, it just is a cool puzzle box. So, I personally don't give a shit about puzzles. So, it would be very easy for me to be like, that's a box. Goodbye. Like, I don't need to mess with this. But literally, I think that it's not... I don't think that it means gullible. I think it means that there is a curiosity of what's unknown. So I don't, I, it's like, that's why I think, and like the fact that like you're such a curiosity driven person, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that I think that there's things that I'm curious about and then there's things that I absolutely close the door on. <laughs> yes. So, yes. I think that I would be able to just be like, well, it's a box and just like walk (laughs) away whereas I think you'd be like but why is it a box and like it's a cool looking box but what does it do and then like that's what the deal right is like I think a lot of the people some of the people seek out the box Mm -hmm. and some people just get dragged in because they're so curious and then some people are dragged in by circumstance and that's kind of the thing with the box too is is, like puzzles are completely indifferent to us Mm -hmm. they don't mm-hmm. care if they're solved or not Ooh. like that's not why you know the puzzle exists the puzzle exists because people created it and that serves a purpose like it's not like you know it, it like puzzles are silly or something i don't think that at all i think that people who have a puzzle solving brain which we can get into mm-hmm. a little bit because mm-hmm. of course we have tiffany yeah. coming up in the I second one tiffany. Love Tiffany, but that's the thing is, like, there are people who are specifically attuned to being able to look at a puzzle and be like, their brain just gets moving.
2: Well, I was just thinking about my sister. Um, (laughs) She, when we were little, she used to, basically, if you said, what's seven times 5,333? She would, she couldn't not solve this in her head. So... Uh, And she can't, you know, she's like, oh, no. And then she had to she had to say the answer. She had to work it out in her head. She couldn't help it. And so, which, you know, it's like, oh, when you're a little kid, you want to torture your sister and be like, hey, what's like (laughs) five billion times? You know, uh, so I don't know. I feel like she would she would actually be more susceptible to to figuring out the box and wanting to to figure out than even I am. I, you know, I sounds like it. Yeah, I might give up if I if I can't figure I'd be like, ugh, I need to this stupid box. Like, what's this (laughs) over here? I would just get distracted, you know? At the same time, it's so shiny. And it's a shiny thing, right? It's a shiny, shiny thing. It's so seductive, (laughs) this box.
1: Yeah. And there's that meticulous edge to it, like mm-hmm. you know, sitting with these like teeny, teeny, tiny seed beads ah! and stuff. Yeah, it's just like that is obviously a different thing. <laughs> That's not the same as the limit configuration. It but it I, well. I, there is like kind of that meticulous side to it. Like people really have to sit and like look at it. Like I am not a person. What is that? The Rubik's cube? I am not a person who's ever solved a Rubik's cube. I've like looked at them for twelve seconds and then been like, I hate this. <laughs> like, I look at puzzles, and I'm like, why are you trying to trick me? I don't want to be tricked. I'm not here to engage with this. And <laughs> that's just how my brain works. I don't know. I've just never really had huge tolerance for uh, puzzles, games, things like that. Okay. Like, I tend to just be kind of like, no, thank you. However, I think that there is a side of people that is greatly improved by those things mm-hmm. so it's not necessarily like i think just because it's not my interest and it's not my skill that it's a you know negative pursuit i get why people are compelled by this box like i totally get it I you know mm-hmm. but it is one of those things where you see somebody who can't forget it and that, that's like the moment of terror kind of because we've always I think all of us have known somebody who couldn't leave well enough alone right like mm-hmm. we've we've all known somebody where it was like and sometimes been the person where when somebody's like don't do that you're just like i won't and then like five minutes later you're like i'm gonna solve the box oh yeah well i think something that's
2: interesting just talking about games um something i don't like about games is that they're that they can be competitive and people get really weird about that and yeah something i love about the, the the box is that it's a solitary game right it's something you do by yourself um, of course mm-hmm. people get brought into it right like uh if not you then another like kind of like the things that that we do by ourselves that um like i don't know i like to look in the mirror and like pluck my whiskers like obsessively you know <laughs> like it's almost like the box is kind of like that where you just like cannot, yes. you can't can't look away um and it's something that you're almost ashamed of
1: Oof. yeah you can't stop fucking with it right like that's kind of i think that the, everybody like regardless of who you are you have something like that where it's like that will just irritate you endlessly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's that box and <laughs> that's why it's so scary is like it literally represents this part of us that is very difficult to deny it is more than we are asking for (laughs) like nobody wants that you know yeah but i don't know people get it all the same because they just keep looking for further experiences i think too that so the the book is awesome Mm -hmm. i think it's really great we listened to it both through audiobook do you remember the person who did the audiobook so
2: this is says mr h reviews um has 350 365k subscribers it's on youtube it's on youtube yeah youtube um (laughs) and send oh send me things to unbox ooh uh anyway
1: unboxing person that Um, sounds suspiciously hellraiser like (laughs) right yeah so Yeah. He was a really good reader. I think that, um, you know, it it made it a really fun listen. I had read the book a really long time ago, I think whenever I was a teenager. So i had forgotten some of the details. But Mm -hmm. it was really nice to be able to sit and listen to somebody who very appropriate for the tone of the story.
2: Yeah. And it was only three hours and four minutes of Mm -hmm. listening a novella. Yeah. And I think that the novella itself, is like a hundred some odd pages yeah yeah so it's just his voice is just very what you say elastic and commanding that's what i really liked about listening to this person it can be really you know it it can be really hard to listen to an audiobook when you don't like a person's voice
1: that's the thing it'll kill you that's it's the greatest gift of my lifetime is literally the fact that so many people are doing audiobooks now that I can just only listen to really good narrators Mm -hmm. because I remember whenever I was like a teenager I would try to listen to like books on tape and stuff like that and it would always be just the droniest British dude and so I would always be like can't do this mm-hmm. can't listen to this da vinci code oh, God. <laughs> novel like book on tape i can't do it and there you go
2: well granted this person is a i think a british dude that's what the accent sounds like and he's not drony at all very very animated so yeah 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 and, and yeah you know, he, he's not afraid to growl and <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh, and his Frank is scary. Like, the voice he does for Frank is really fun. He's like, feed me. I know. (laughs) I really liked it. (laughs) So, knowing nothing else about this person, (laughs) (laughs) we can say listen to the audiobook because it is good. And that was it kind of I mean for the book right because I don't everything that we say will just be saying in the movie part because they kind of add like a few random things like there's the kind of like what's your pleasure sir kind of like weird part yeah Yeah, where you're kind of like that's odd that you threw that in kind of went out of your way for that one (laughs) and there's kind of just like some goofiness of course there's that like dragon at the end oh yeah
2: that weird thing that's like yeah yeah exactly zany
1: off the wall And also, apparently, they were just running out of money, like, Mm -hmm. rapidly all of the time. So none of it looks particularly great, but you, it's fine, I guess. Oh, I love it. You know? It is pretty fun. But yeah, you can kind of tell that they make it to a certain point in the movie, and then they're like, oh, no. (laughs) Where's the money? And where's the ending to this story? Because we don't have one. (laughs) anymore yeah. yeah so and they have to leave it open for a sequel you know unlike the book the book can just end things
2: yeah so like I think one thing that's interesting is like comparing not just like I mean there's a lot to <laughs> there's a lot to say about Kirsty being the friend versus the daughter but she's also I feel like Kirsty in the book is just miles more confident.
1: She's very over it, right, yes. in the book. Yes. There's kind of this edge to her where she's just, like, has had her heart stomped on, yeah. has had to deal with a bunch of bullshit in life. But then there is, like, that scene where Frank is trying to, like, command her, give it to me. And she goes, say please. I know. Exactly. That part ruled. I was
2: like, damn, Kirsty!" Yeah, and I think that maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but there's one part in the book where frank goes come to daddy you know but the the movies just ran with it forever and ever and ever and i'm just like why did you have to do that it's so gross
1: they were like no listen
2: they're like let's make this sexual
1: (laughs) we have to make the point (laughs) otherwise you'll never understand that frank is a bad person Uh, and it's like no we we got it
2: (laughs) yeah and i think even in the the third one because I, I just I rewatched all, like up to I rewatched one two three and four two I watched I think twice in the last couple weeks but anyway and. Even when Frank isn't even involved in like three and four, that come to daddy still comes up. And I'm just like, why? Like, Why do you need to do this? It's so weird.
1: It is weird because it doesn't have a point to it. Yes. It's just kind of like, look how sketchy this is. Yeah.
2: It's just like, <laughs> okay, go barf now audience yeah 100 <laughs> percent.
1: it's like come on like if you didn't, you didn't barf need to from do the, any of this yeah if
2: you didn't barf from the gore you can barf from come to daddy you know
1: but that's kind of the thing is like yeah in the book it's not his actual daughter he's saying come to daddy yeah. just like as a true sketchball and that makes her be like whoa you are not rory yeah. like you're wearing his skin somehow that's <laughs> wild um Ew. that's her exact reaction in the book yeah, oh, yeah. So, whoa zany yeah um she's like, gadzooks I
3: know she's
2: like how easy is it gonna be for me to like tear the skin off uh oh it was so easy crap it was
1: disturbingly easy yeah, yeah.
3: that's not your skin uh,
1: <laughs> Ooh, the skin wearing thing fun stuff so I think too though yeah it's weird the incest did kind of become a weird staple I don't like the it franchise yeah Because it doesn't go anywhere either. It's like there's certain things where it's like, if you're going to conjure up this imagery and this subject matter, which is very, very upsetting, then I would like it to go somewhere or like have a meaning to the plot in any way, shape, or form. But it really just doesn't because it's just like this sketchy guy who you know is super sketchy is actually very, very sketchy. (laughs) Yeah. It's like we know though. So we you know. don't have to tell us twice. <laughs> <laughs> but that was kind of the thing too. In like the book, they do give Frank a little bit of extra breathing room because we actually hear his part of the story. Right. And you're just like, God, this guy sucks. Yeah. But in the movie, it's a lot more about Julia, which is awesome. I yeah. think that ju- like, let's talk about Julia, yes. right? Because isn't she great? It's like, yeah, there's some really truly profound sketchy things going on with Julia. She is a, definitely a villain. There's no justifying this character. You know, like, it's, it's one of those things where you're just like, no, she is evil. Mm-hmm. Like, she is a truly evil human being, and she is a cross medium. She is in the book, and she is in the movies, but she is a delight. Yes. <laughs> and so she is kind of the main character, I think, in that they, you know, automatically everybody goes it's like the pinhead movie and it's like as you say the Cenobites are fairly neutral like they do scary as shit things and they're terrifying in their presence mm-hmm. but Julia is terrifying because she's out here doing the stuff that brings the Cenobites. you know yes. like Frank does it but she's doing it too and so her only skin in, it, in the game is, <gasps> is that she wants to go have sex with Frank and you're just like that's wild that you went on a murder spree hey. <laughs> like
2: Sometimes you just can't, you're, you know, it's like some people just got their hooks in you. I mean,
1: not to make I that guess. a pun, but it's true. I know. We just did like a few and I'm like in the flesh. We've got to have like oh. a few more like flesh hooks. Oh, um, easy. Skin
2: <laughs> puns. I just was looking up, is there a Hellraiser documentary? And there is, it's like two parts. And in this documentary, it talks a lot about how Julia so interviews the writers, the a lot of the costume people and the the makeup artists, which I That's really cool. really liked. Yeah, it was really cool. And like the cenobites, I got to see them actually. As people, you know, <laughs> and like, oh my god, you're so cool,
1: right? And Claire Higgins and Doug Bradley, who are like theater yeah. actors and stuff, you're just like, what the okay? Anyway,
2: I know, yeah, they're they're like, sorry, well, go ahead. Like, we love Shakespeare, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like in this, they were talking a lot about how they wanted Julia to be the main, the main villain here, like the the center of all of it, because she she really is. We know this in the first one and the second one she gets a lot of that's where she really comes into her own you know um, as, as the queen of, of hell right or yes. whatever that
1: the labyrinth it goes nowhere and it's one of the most frustrating yes. character arcs ever. Like, it's nuts because you have this wonderful character, Mm -hmm. like, who's more evil than Julia? Like, she's not only truly awful, but she's so seductive and so capable of convincing people to do what she wants them to do and so capable of, like, turning people's instincts and sensory experience on themselves, which makes her, honestly, the perfect companion to the hell... Like to the cinnabites, but
2: yeah, and I really love how in the second one she gets to fuck Frank over, you know. She gets to just be like, It's so good. I know. I'm like, Thank you." He's like, come in, baby. Uh. She's
1: like, Okie dokie, <laughs>
2: <laughs> fucking die. Yeah, bye. Uh, and uh but but apparently I guess it was an, you know uh I think it was the audience that was just super enamored with Pinhead, <laughs> and also when you know they had the what do you call it, the VHS cover, and, you know Pinhead is on the cover, and so everyone is just uh, very, very, I guess, seduced by Pinhead, like seduced by the wrong one, you know. And so people, so they were like, okay, I guess we gotta keep Pinhead central, and it's just like, why don't you like the other Cenobites? And I also, in the book, we don't really see the Cenobites. We don't read about the Cenobites that much. They only come up a few times. And very briefly, if, you know, if my memory from a week ago serves me right.
1: That's it. Like the story isn't about them at all. Yeah.
2: I also, I mean, I I do really want to go back to this, like, I love that. The, the original concept for, for these Cenobites is like, okay, we're humans being like, oh, God, are you from hell? And they're like, uh, <laughs> I don't even think you, we don't have a name for where we're from, you know, kind of like that.
1: Like you do not understand yeah. anything.
2: Yeah, you all torture yourselves, basically. But then as we get into, I know I'm jumping a little bit, but as we get into the, the fourth one, there's this whole scene. <laughs> the fourth Hellraiser where there's this whole scene where, or no, is it the third one? Ah, uh, it's, the, it's the third one—the third Hellraiser, where Joey runs into the church and the priest is like, "Oh, demons aren't real, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then you know, and then she's like, "Well, what is that?" And then you know, Pinhead walks <laughs> through the door and and all of the the stained glass uh, you know explodes as he walks by it, and then he gives himself yeah. a stigmata and he's like standing on the the altar, and as much as it. Um, it gives me joy to see sacrilege because yes. I grew up Catholic and did not like it. Uh, yeah. Not very. You're like, the... this is fun. Yeah. But I was like, Ooh, <laughs> that's hilarious. Like, I know everything <laughs> you're doing. Like, you're giving yourself a stigmata. I get it. Um, but as much as it was, I was like, dang, I really, I really wish that we hadn't made such a stark. Uh, like obvious juxtaposition between these two things because it is seriously yeah it 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 defeats the purpose of that yeah
1: it's like it's one of those I. it's like one of those moments of Clyde Barker has this really genius idea that's based in his experiences very much as a queer person yeah. very much as somebody who truly just like lived through the AIDS crisis yes. like lived through a bunch of shit yes. uh, has was out forever like didn't you know not be out and yeah. was even pushing I think some fairly queer themes mm-hmm. I don't think necessarily like a queer movie but and I think the same with like Lord of Illusions I'm like this isn't really a queer movie but it is because it's made by a queer yes. person yeah. <laughs> and like the themes are there right so I think that there's a lot of interesting stuff to say about that mm-hmm. and how the franchise truly gets away from him yes. right because who in Hollywood at that time is going to understand what the vision of Hellraiser is instead they go this guy has pins in his head and they cannot get over it Yeah, because the shocking thing is what matters the most right so I yes. think that that's the same with this goofy incest subplot you know like the reason that this franchise goes so far off of the rails is, is that it loses Julia Julia should have stuck around way longer than she does Agreed. it loses Kirsty. she comes back for six I believe but it's very brief um and it's kind of just repetition really and it loses its queer themes so i think that this kind of heady like we are these creatures you can't understand Mm -hmm. like this is the end of pleasure where it becomes pain Mm -hmm. and you know all of this it's like things that the human mind would struggle to understand like frankly i struggle to understand some of the things that hellraiser you know puts forward in a way that i think is good and challenging Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Even as somebody who has been interacting with this franchise literally since childhood, I, Hellraiser 2 is one of the first movies I remember seeing as like a child child. <laughs> like I remember like Dumbo Circus Hellraiser, you know, like they Dumbo were together Cer- for me. Yes, yes. So <laughs> basically the thing is, is yeah, that's a crossover, oh. right? Um, the thing is, is, is that there's no real separating them in my head. There's no real separating Hellraiser from kind of the way that I view things. And then there's no way to separate Hellraiser as being a foundationally queer concept, mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. it once you, as much as I have kind of a silly love for three, four, five, you know, yeah. six, <laughs> uh, and it probably ends there. I try to be polite, but I'm like, once you pass six, seven, eight, nine, ten, I think we're good, guys. I think yeah. we're fucking good, yeah. but <laughs> I, they they're not. Not even Hellraiser movies; they were just random scripts. And then somebody was like, "You should put Pinhead in it, and then we can keep the license to Hellraiser." Yeah. So that's what I heard. That's here. Oh yeah, but I, I think
2: that's true. I, I think or, or not. I mean, I think I heard that as well. There we go. But
1: that's <laughs> the thing, right? Is like we had these really interesting concepts. Clyde Barker directs the first Hellraiser. He does. He doesn't have anything to do with the second, but he's like still a producer. He's yeah. still very much he's in, involved. He's in the
2: background. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And
1: but you know there very present and so it still is following a lot of his his ideas and his concepts he's gone after mm-hmm. that he doesn't return to the franchise until comics he does some hellraiser comics and that is the franchise cannot exist without him it's like because the people who would look at Hellraiser as something that they wanted to step in on mm-hmm. a lot of times are looking at just like the Pinhead hat or something like that. Oh yeah. Whereas with Clive Barker's vision, it was a different, entirely different feel yes. and that's why we remember, even with all of their flaws, we remember those first two Hellraisers, mm-hmm. you and I, you know, not speaking for everybody, as being like truly great horror films. Oh, yeah. Uh, but that with like completely weird, subversive in- imagery and just like a strange couple of movies. And then you move on and it's like the normies get a hold of Hellraiser. And so it's never good again, really. Like it's OK or enjoyable at times, but it never really uh, reaches those heights again.
2: Even in this even that documentary, the, a lot of the people who were talking in this documentary were like yeah i haven't seen anything past one or two so i think you and yeah. i are in good company honestly <laughs> <laughs> the people
1: who worked on it were like no yeah, thank they're you like, it's I like don't... a cartoon now Yeah, they're
2: like i i don't i don't touch that with a 10-foot pole you know that sort of thing um fair enough and i don't know like i wonder um there were a few like through lines that i noticed when re-watching this um and maybe it's obvious but and and, and uh, maybe it connects to, to to queer themes as well but there's a lot of there's a lot there are a lot of moments where where the the protagonist feels incredibly invalidated and and gaslit you know so so kirsty for instance in in hellraiser 2 you know she she sees reality or, or she you know she's trying to explain what happened and everyone's just like what the fuck are you talking about this is so
1: weird yeah. um That whole intro to Hellraiser 2 is that in a nutshell. Like a 100% where it's just that for what, five minutes? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) She's like, listen, I'm telling you. And they're just like, being invalidated. It's like a big thing Mm -hmm. in Hellraiser. Like people have to not believe you when you're just like, there's demons from hell. They came because of the box. People are just like, what are you saying? Well, yeah, and
2: especially when you think about People who perhaps believe that and are doing well, because you know, I, I I can't imagine being Kirsty in this situation, right? Where
1: uh, yeah, I mean, it's like Kirsty is oh. making deals, and I would be retired. Like I would be like, oh, my brain just collapsed in on itself like i can't understand this the chatter being right in her face and putting his fingers in her mouth i'm just like that is the most messed up thing i've ever seen in my life it is so disturbing i feel
2: like it's like his like Middle and ring finger too,
1: which is really weird.
2: Like I don't know, it's like something weird about all that. It's like, uh, yeah, like I don't. You're it's like, no, weird, no, 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 like, not the oh. chatter.
1: So shout out to the chatter Love. because I found out that he is gay, and so every Perfect. Pride, I'm always like, Happy Pride to the chatter <laughs> <laughs> from Hellraiser. Yeah, who's <laughs> he a problematic gay? He died, and oh. um, this is what became of him. But. Uh, there there were these action figures of Hellraiser which is so funny like only in the 90s right or like I guess it was probably around like year 2000 or something it's
2: like when they had the the, um, the spawn characters you get them a hot
1: topic okay sorry <laughs> yeah no for sure and I'm like <laughs> literally I have a few because nobody at the like Fort Collins Colorado mall bought the Hellraiser toys but I was like yes yeah. so I found them for sale for like two dollars a piece oh, and so yeah. I have Skinless Julia yeah one of the wire twins and cd face (laughs) oh cd face from the third one disgusting i know i love it and those three together they form the foundation of my action figure collection i love that but (laughs) that's it's really cool but it's also just kind of funny because it's like hellraiser was always just a little too weird but then (laughs) on the back of them they gave you these backstories so that's something too that i appreciate a lot about hellraiser is it's a franchise where if you dig a little bit Mm -hmm. you get to find out all of this extra stuff that like you never knew
2: yeah and i really want to talk about the coil soundtrack
1: Oh my God. So we can talk about that right now. So yeah. the Coil soundtrack, that's because there was, they were hired to do the soundtrack and then Clive Barker was pressured by the studio to choose the person who you hear, which let me look up Christopher real quick. Young, I believe if. Yeah. Yes. No, Christopher. Christop- yes. Is it- <laughs> Sorry, there's another Christopher involved. Christopher. So I got confused, but Christopher. it's Christopher Young. And yeah, that soundtrack is great. Like, that's an A-plus soundtrack. I love watching Hellraiser because I think, too, if you even think of that scene where Frank is, like, forming in the attic or whatever, then you remember the music. Like, that music is incredible. But there's another incredible soundtrack because because Coyle recorded a whole bunch of songs for it. Didn't finish them. Like there was supposed to be a string section on uh, the whole album. Oh, so when, yeah, when they talk about it, they're like, yeah, that's like basically sounds like a half finished album to us because we had plans to bring in like a whole string section. So to us, it like sounds like very empty. But for me, somebody who never heard the string section part, because it doesn't exist, that soundtrack owns. Oh, yeah. Well, I, <laughs> so... I like Coil.
2: If you're listening, is it feels Complete to me. I I mean, I I think it's really amazing. And when I heard it, I was like, you know, I'm easily, I'm easily amused by music, especially soundtracks and stuff like that. But yeah, like just give me one instrument note, I'll be like, wow, that sounds amazing. But it was just so interesting to, yeah, because like I think, yeah, Clive Barker really wanted Coil. I think they were, you know, buddies or something, or maybe not. I don't know. Really wanted them to do it, so they like sent him what we can now access on YouTube, I believe. And then, yeah, it was like Sarah saying pressured by the studio, but that, I don't know. It's just so interesting to think about how that soundtrack could be superimposed on Hellraiser and, you know, on, on the YouTube where I listen to all of this. It's not even on Spotify, which I actually kind of think is, there are lots of songs that I get into that aren't on Spotify, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, people are commenting, I would love to see like someone reimagine this with, with this soundtrack and Hellraiser. And you know, I was already doing that in my head. It's just like, oh my god, the music box is so it's it's really interesting the way that they reimagined that music box and just the real I don't know I just feel like it's like it's got, it's like a banger you know that whole that 33 minutes is a total banger like it just looks like so good
1: yeah speaking as a horror soundtrack a fiction auto yeah, like love, I love horror soundtracks I listen to them while I'm writing all of the time yeah. and I have to say it really is one of the better ones I've listened to yeah. because what was so interesting to me about it is when you watch Hellraiser you just remember this iconic music But then you listen to the Coil soundtrack and you're like good god This would be a completely different Movie if I had watched it with This music instead Yeah, like Some of the things Where even I feel like the Editing would have to be different Like the pacing of the film would have to be A different beast I think if they Were going to have the Coil soundtrack yeah, Which I think too it's like that Might have given it like a little bit Quicker pacing I think the pacing is like like, pretty off in the first Hellraiser Mm -hmm, movie. mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And who cares? You know, like, I love it regardless. But you watch it back and you're like, yeah, okay, I can see how they could have, like, Tightens this up just like a little bit. But once again, yes. yeah, it, it's like you're listening to these like very long, beautiful, you know, notes, you know, so yeah. you have this gorgeous soundtrack. It makes it easy to kind of meander a little bit at times. And then if you had this coil soundtrack, I think the sense of urgency would have been kind of constant through the movie. So I feel like they would have had to. Have Edited it even like slightly differently to match. Yeah,
2: the coil soundtrack punches, you know. It's very, uh, it's very driven, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's it, also, though, when I listened to it, I was like, oh, that makes sense, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's almost like I want to listen to it as if, you know, as if I'm listening to <laughs> Dark Side of the Moon <laughs> with, <laughs> with the Wizard of Oz <laughs> <laughs> muted <laughs> to see what no, happens, no. you know? Yeah. Um, But of course, I'd have to repeat over and over because it's only like three,
1: three times or something, right? Yeah. But today
2: I was just like, God, I'm just going to blast this. Um, Yeah. Who cares what my neighbors think? It's daytime. (laughs) We don't have quiet hours. So, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm so I feel really lucky to have even found it. I I feel like it's a gift. (gasps) Oh, it's. It's a gift of the box. I don't know. It's just a a gift. Oh, no. Oh, crap. We're in trouble now. (laughs) I know. So far, nothing terrible has happened to me. How about you since you've listened to it?
1: (laughs) I've been doing okay. Okay, that's good. That's good. <laughs> I was definitely thinking about it a lot today. I sent it to a couple of friends too because I was just like, "God, this is good." That soundtrack is great. Everybody should check it out. Honestly, everybody should check out the other soundtrack. Yeah. Like, they did not go wrong no. with the music on this on this first entry. I think that the second movie is a lot tighter. <laughs> Like, yes. It goes faster. It tells you everything you need to know in, like, the first, like, three minutes, like we said, where, like, Kirstie's oh, yeah. just like, my father's in hell and he needs my help, or like, whatever hilarious thing Kirsty is saying, because she's, she, everything she says, she's, like, yelling at somebody. Yes. And I, I truly admire her. <laughs> She's kind of like the anti-Julia Even in the movies Because it's like Julia is So like calm And refined while she's doing Everything Her. that's completely horrible And Kirsty is like very abrasive And just like runs around yelling I would too, I would too Like fair enough, but that's the thing Kind of this difference between how Like the two of them even handle like Stressful situations and stuff Is fascinating
2: Yeah, and I'm kind of, I, I feel way more alarmed by Julia's uh response to stressful situations that I do to (laughs) Kirstie's because my goodness like any I feel like Kirstie is someone who um you know I don't know I see I think we could all really a lot of people could relate to her because if you're ever in a traumatic situation in the moment like of course you're gonna react in ways that are Maybe surprising to others, or that people are like, Oh, I really wish, well, if I had been in that situation, I would have done it this way. And it's like, Well, you haven't been in that situation. So you have no fucking clue. Oh, yeah. You know, you don't know what you would do. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, Julia's like in on it. So of course she's calm, you know? Mm-hmm. She's like, Oh, uh, yeah, this is like doing my bidding. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so. She's like this. Actually, kind of owns. Like the funniest thing about Julia is, is that as much as Frank is a raging asshole and he's just like, "This was too much," Julia's kind of like, "This isn't that bad." Like I'm just gonna put on this like white suit while I have no skin and like get this rube to help me out. And I know she like wears. Then I'm gonna dress? become the queen of hell or whatever. And you're just like, "What, dude?" I know. You're, like, so different than Frank and so much better than Frank.
2: Seriously, (laughs) I'd much rather deal with Julia as someone who needs skin than Frank. Like, if someone was like, I need skin right now, and I, like, thought that I should help them, I'd rather help Julia,
1: you know? (laughs) I'm like, I would especially not want to deal with Julia because you know that she is going to kill you in the end. You're not making it through. I
2: know, I know. (laughs) But let's just say it was, like, you know... A casual thing. Like, you're like, what's up, best friend? What do you need? Like, and she's oh. just like bodies. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, maybe I don't know. Like, you could just take my skin, I guess. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't. I don't want to hurt anyone. <laughs> She'd be like, all right. Yeah, she'd be like, okay. You can have my, I, I'll take your skin, I guess.
1: I'll just cinch it. Oh my god. But anyway, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yes. Um, she would be very hard to negotiate with. I'll say that. She, she would. drives a hard bargain. Yeah, I
2: thought you said I would be. I was like, no, no, no. You could no. get me to do. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, you need help? Okay. Like, yeah.
1: <laughs> Even Julia, right? Uh-huh. Like, fair enough. She's very charming.
2: I mean, if she like just would watch a few TV shows with me,
1: <laughs> I'm like, wow, we're friends. And she's just sighing the whole time. Yeah. You're just like, God, Julia.
0: I'm like, here's my. It'd skin. be funny if
1: Julia actually had really good taste in television, though. <laughs> I it was like, she's like really into TV. She's like, this is a really good show. Have you seen it? And then she's like, you haven't seen it, <laughs> like. Oh,
2: she'll be like, I have such sights to show you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Take a drink. It's like the drinking game. Yeah. Is every time we can pull that back as a joke. <laughs>
2: um, I did make a note, though, about when you said my father's in hell and he needs help. Um, like the idea of needing to. Uh, yeah, the idea of like, oh, I need to help someone who's already gone. Right. Yeah. Um, that was present in, you know, of course, two, one, one built up to that. And then yeah. we have the 2022 Hellraiser that came out on October 7th, 2022 on Hulu um, <laughs> and
0: that as a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch.
2: So yeah, I don't know. I, those themes are kind of interesting. Well, let's talk about two and let's talk about that doc. Oh yeah, I was going to say that that awful
1: Leviathan. He all becomes Leviathan or whatever. Yeah, what is
2: his name? Doctor it's something stupid. It's Dweeb. Like, Dr. Dweeb. Dr. Dweeb. In this documentary, like the writer was like, I want to call him Dr. Malhide because that means bad skin. And I was like, oh my god. <laughs> but then there was like another what's i i have to look this up dr chenard and nice yeah dr chenard someone else was like, well, I didn't want to be Dr. Malhide. I want to be Dr. Chenard because it reminded me of this other doctor. And I was like, wow, you're all so clever. You know, slow clap. (laughs) Like,
1: fuck off. That's (laughs) hilarious. Yeah, you're like, no, we know he's evil. It's the same as the Frank thing. Settle down. We know. We get it. Yeah, he's literally... This whole subplot is about how he, like, traumatizes the shit out of a kid by, like, experimenting on her mom and killing her. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And then what he does with the guy who's, you know, has the boils on it, you know, he's like, here's a knife in case you want to get those things that don't exist off of your yeah. body.
1: So that's a good time to mention that this is like a very gory it's, film. Like the first one is gory, but there's something really going the extra mile into. <laughs>
2: yeah, it kind of made me feel physically ill. and But I had to watch it like twice or three times. It was really weird, you know.
1: Yeah, it's a fascinating film. Yeah. And then also I wanted to say that the person who directed that movie didn't direct a ton of things, but he yes. also directed yeah. the Amityville It's About Time film, which is easily the best movie in the entire Amityville franchise. And it's a, to- it's super weird, like straight to video, bizarre. Like, you know, I think 1992 maybe is whenever it came out and just like totally odd. Right. And so also very visceral, completely violent, really cool, like bizarrely cool. It's stuck in my brain. But so the same as Hellraiser 2. So this d- director kind of had a weird, strong influence on me, I guess. That, yeah. Because I'm like, I watched both of those movies as like a kid, basically. So yeah,
2: in that documentary, they were saying that it, 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 he actually was in it. So I would recommend I think it would be interesting for you to watch it. He was like, oh, this is kind of the first movie that I... I think it was the first movie that he had directed. Like, you know, don't quote me on that. But um, there was like one of the other people who works on the set. Obviously, I don't know much about how the mechanics of movie production, but, um, you know, ooh, whatever. He was terrified to go on set the first day and someone had to go in to, to say hey, it's okay, we're here to help you. And he was like, okay. And yeah, and so he, yeah, he was really, really, and I kind of like that vulnerability, just being like, I'm scared to do this. Yeah. It it was such, but you know, it turned out, you know, hats off to you, you know, because it it did, it, it was a really, I would say, it was better than the first one it was probably the best one out of the whole franchise I think
1: so yeah Yeah. it's so visceral like truly very upsetting don't watch it if you find anything in this world upsetting because guaranteed you will find this movie upsetting but there's also some of the best imagery I think of the whole franchise because they kind of go into this hell place right and that's kind of the thing that I think just like blew my mind as a kid was watching this film where they're kind of delving into this like maze. Yes. And that was wild. Like the that whole part. And then, of course, people are wearing like other people's skins and oh there's people God. without skin. It's so confusing. And it, very fun to watch, though. And that Story also includes, of course, Tiffany, Ah. who is the young kid who had been hurt by the doctor. Mm -hmm. And she is traumatized all to hell. She doesn't talk, you know, for most of the film. She does have a really great line when she finally does speak. Mm -hmm. But she also is just dealing with a lot of trauma. So she tends to, like, work through puzzles instead of, you know, like talking things out or whatever. Oh my god, it's like my seed beads. Oh. <laughs> yes, it is exactly like that. Dang.
2: <laughs> Tiffany. I mean, I she's so, she's so good. And, <laughs> and she's, uh, it's weird. Being, well, yeah, it's really cool because, well, first of all, I'm like, Kirsty, how can you refuse meds? Like, I don't think that's how that works, but there's a scene where this, the, some like orderly that she's like, that is maybe flirting with her or something is like, oh, you should take your meds. And she's like, no. And he's like, okay. <laughs> but then she's, she like walks out of her room and just looks into Tiffany's room. It's the first time she sees her, I think. And Tiffany is putting together, a box that looks very similar to the Lament configuration. Then of course that Dr. Chenard is like, oh you know how to do puzzles? Well I have this I have this puzzle. Why don't you do it for me? You know? And then all hell you know, all hell breaks loose, literally.
1: She's just sitting there. That's like maybe one of the scariest scenes mm-hmm. is her just sitting there in the middle of the floor yeah. and then the cinnabites start walking in.
2: Yes. I wrote down a quote because I was making notes while I was watching this. And something that Pinhead says is, it is not hands that call us, it's desire. So like, they don't care about Tiffany. They're like, you may have solved this puzzle, but we know it's not you. And that also bolsters the theory that they are neutral because... They're like, yeah, we, you're not. We don't need to. We, we don't want. We know that you're innocent. We know that you're someone who's not involved in this. Obviously, we're gonna still terrorize you by bringing you to hell or whatever.
1: But they're not going after her, really. Like Leviathan does, because Doctor Channard has a weird fixation on this girl. Yes,
2: but the Cenobites themselves aren't doing that. They're they're there for Doctor Channard, you know, and they're there for yeah. Julia. Obviously, that's really who they're there
1: for. When you wanted to see. You wanted to know. Well, <laughs> now you know. I love Julia and how she talks. It's such, such like a theatrical performance. I'm like, Claire Higgins, you're cool. Because you did so much theater. And I gotta say, you really brought it to Julia. Julia would never be anywhere near she is, I think. Because that performance is killer. I
2: agree. And honestly, like, it's like... When she talks that documentary, she's like, oh, we just had a really good time, you know?
1: Yes, that's what I want to hear. She's just like we were just partying. It was so fun. Yeah, she's like, oh well, it was just so it was lovely, you know. Lasted a couple weeks, like like, whatever. Remember it? Like yeah, Yeah, like every Broadway show I've done required me to memorize like a show that I performed three hundred times. So those kind of stand out a little bit more than my two weeks on Hellraiser.
2: Right. Right. But okay, so I guess going back to Tiffany, though, Tiffany. Yeah, she's a really interesting character, I guess, like for anyone who maybe is like, you know, maybe a little traumatized or like a a bit like neurodivergent. uh, You could really relate to Tiffany because she communicates in a different way.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: But definitely still communicates Uh, because (laughs) there's a lot of interactions with her. I think that she's maybe one of the most fascinating characters of the entire franchise, I and I find it to be, again, a huge missed opportunity yeah. that the only form that she returns in is the comics.
2: Yeah. And I wish I had had... I. I've, yeah, I wish I'd read the Omnibus, or, you know, I wish at this point, because
1: it's great yeah maybe you'll read it and come back on or something because the comic side of things I think is like a whole other conversation almost because yeah. there's a anthology there is you know like this anthology that went for like 20 issues that had all of these you know top name creators like Neil Gaiman does a story mm, there's like a tight. bunch of amazing creators that worked on that series Hellraiser had a couple of like one shot or two shot kind of like little mini series type comics, one of which was Hellraiser meets Nightbreed. <laughs> so the, it might be a good time. Nightbreed was is like another one of uh, Clyde Barker's franchises. Okay. It also didn't really get legs. Like there wasn't a lot of follow up. They released one movie about it. It's delightfully cheesy it is. and you know a huge fan favorite for a ton of people. And I think is honestly a lot of fun, but it's very silly. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't finish it. It was very, like, 90s silly, right? Yeah. But Nightbreed and uh, Hellraiser exist all in the same universe, apparently, which I wanted to bring up because there's a theory that there's another <laughs> franchise <gasps> that's not a Clive Barker franchise that also might take place in the same world. And did you want to talk about that? Because uh, I don't know this theory until you told me about it. Yeah.
2: I mean... <laughs> Yeah. So there's a theory that Event Horizon is part of the Hellraiser universe. And I, I, I watched it last night, because I wanted to refresh. I, I gr- Okay, so you know, when you're a kid, and you watch movies, uh, like over and over again, maybe I'm weird in that way. But Uh, Event Horizon was one of those movies that I would watch over and over again.
1: There's a lot going on in that film.
2: Yeah, like I love Lawrence Fishburne. I'm just like, God, I love... He's so fun. Yeah, he's great. And so... Yeah. So the theory here is that this is like, so what? It's like twenty one forty seven, I think, is or twenty forty seven. I don't know. It was like the nineties, so they were like, oh, in <laughs> the twenty forty seven, this is where we're gonna be. I'm like, I don't know. That's literally in twenty five years. Don't think that's gonna happen. Um, no. Nope. But you know, that's that's par for the course. You know, flying cars. I don't know. Um, yeah. Which doesn't happen in in. Event Horizon. But anyway, so like, (laughs) so yeah, in Event Horizon, there are lots of similar similarities. This is like what the theory is, but this is not necessarily what I believe after reading a bunch of theories and all that stuff. So the way the concept of hell in Event Horizon is very similar to the concept of hell in Hellraiser, where it's a lot about like... um, (laughs) The rims of sensation and <laughs> about which I think was actually the the latest one talked about the rims of sensation, which I think was it's like the, it really stuck with me. Obviously,
1: take a drink. <laughs> That's like the other phrase. Rims. Oh, not the rims of sensation. Ah, shit. <laughs> We're back again. Yeah, and and so and there's
2: like there uh, there's there are some you know parallels here or, or overlaps, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. I want to talk about like the the phrasing of what they say, but I'm going to get to that later. Um, so just remind me if I don't mention it, but like, so you know, it starts off with with dreams. And I think that Hellraiser has a has a big theme about dreams. People, you know, like they, they infiltrate your dreams in some ways, like with Kirsty, she dreams a lot, uh, especially in the second one. And that's how you get access. And then of course, the third one, which you know, we don't need to really belabor too much. That's how
1: they (laughs) need. We belabor the point, right? They get access
2: to, to Joey through her dreams, right? They just have ways of doing it. Uh, the Cenobites do they meaning the Cenobites and that's, and also in event horizon, oftentimes the, whatever that hell is, it it's, it's accessing people through guilt and through shame which maybe is a little different from Hellraiser but at the same time it's almost as if they're like in the lament configuration in a way because you know lament is like uh, I feel guilty and shame and all this other stuff and this is just like the hell that I live in is is the hell of of regret so the Dr. Weir character he I guess like built this spaceship that goes beyond Neptune, I think it's Neptune somewhere out in the galaxy and it disappears and then it comes back and no one on the ship is present. They are all gone and so they're kind of on so, you know, Lawrence Fishburne is the captain and he's got a crew and then he brought Dr. Weir who apparently created the fucking ship to go on a rescue mission. So they go on there onto the ship and there's nothing there, but it's really creepy because all they, all they have is this recording that's just like liberate me, you know, and so this one guy knows Latin and he's like, oh, I think that means like liberate me. And then later he's like, oh, no, it means li- it means like save yourself from hell. And it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> it's. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, fuck. It, and also there's like a gravity drive. And that's the thing that actually makes it possible to go into, you know, beyond the realms, you know, and it looks it, it is it is constructed eerily like the box is it's super intricate it's super this and that and it's a gateway to hell just like the boxes right i don't think it matters that i'm spoiling event horizon i think that
1: no yeah who cares the only the new everything else don't worry about it but the new one will do a spoiler alert because it's like maybe people haven't quite seen that one yet
2: yeah it is is but uh it is not even a month old that new one
1: I know it's so exciting know, whenever it. it was Hellraiser Day I was like Hellraiser Day, oh, Hellraiser Day. I watched over breakfast. I was so happy like, literally it was like that I almost forgot about it and then I remembered at like 11 a.m. and was like Hellraiser we probably watched at the same time Literally, oh my god, that's so funny. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, the real ones. (laughs) I know. I was like, oh my god, like (laughs) um, same. I had been waiting and waiting and waiting, and it got delayed a couple of times, like so many things uh, do. And so I was just like, please. And at first, I thought it was going to be a series. Like I thought it was going to be more than one. So I think they're there might have been like either like misannouncement or like maybe things just changed in the process but oh. i was definitely like we're going to watch like eight episodes of the I, mean, I know like i really wish they would make it into a series yeah same it would be really good I liked I liked the new Kirsty. basically like it's not Kirsty. we'll get Riley. into that more later yeah. but with oh, Event anyways, Horizon yeah, yeah. so, so yeah. Sam Neill right oh I know Sam Neill <laughs> first of all genre king this guy's been everywhere I love him in everything he was in Jurassic Park <laughs> <laughs> he sure was um, and Damien the Omen 3 oh
2: my god <laughs> love. oh my god and so he he gets transformed uh when he uh accepts i guess that this is where he's like i am home
1: i am home yeah we're gonna get you home yeah i am home oh. and you're like ah i know
2: and then that's when that was so haunting right exactly and then that's when he like you know he gouges his own eyes out but you know in in his hallucination his wife who had completed suicide grabs his face and puts her thumbs in his eyes but he's doing it to himself and then he's got all these like cuts and like it's very it's it's very similar to the the it's like squares of cuts right so it's it's like oh you may as well put some pins in there yeah he's becoming
1: pinhead right here Yeah.
2: yeah so it's like okay this could be part of the universe but i also think that event horizon took from a lot of horror movies um
1: <laughs> yeah it does yeah so like the even just the ch- central trope of like haunted abandoned spaceship uh, is something that's been everywhere yeah, yeah in other movies too like I there's even further movies that we can list there's a bunch of even like cheesy like sci-fi movies from the 50s or something this right. is like popped up everywhere I love it I, I love... think it's like the best trope I love this trope me too and I love it <laughs> do Horizon, it forever no what. I'll still love it. Yeah, I watched uh, one... Oh, yeah, it's great. Alien is another thing that
2: it takes from... Yeah, anyway. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all A+. I read, like, a book recently. It was, like, a 15-hour audiobook, I think. Haunted, abandoned, dead bodies everywhere type spaceship, and I was just like, I'm in. Like, I'm gonna sit here. I didn't... There were parts, like, the book kind of took some turns where I wasn't always, like, super with it, but I was also like, look, you've Put this on a haunted space station, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) Like if I if I didn't like it even at all, I would still listen to every minute of it and consider listening to it again because like that's just the best one. And Event Horizon, much like Hellraiser, famously dealt with a lot of bullshit Mm -hmm. from producers who cut the movie to shreds and like all of this. And he was even the director, I believe, was even given the opportunity to kind of repair it and make a longer cut. And then he was like, the footage is like damaged. We really can't do anything with it now. And so we're never going to (laughs) get director's cut (laughs) of Event Horizon. But I do think that it's this idea I don't, it's like, I don't think it'll ever be confirmed or something but I will happily just include Event Horizon in the list of Nightbreed Hellraiser (laughs) event horizon universe yeah right?
2: i think so too like
1: get on in here you yeah hey <laughs> join us <It's>, join us <laughs> we have so some sites to show well, you and that's another so,
2: thing is like the phrasing right the similarities in what people say in event horizon right so the thing we've been referencing this like oh, Such sights to show you And then you know <laughs> Dr. Weir he talks to Lawrence Fishburne's character And he's like I have wonderful Wonderful things to show You I don't know and then his Excitement as well with it Where he's like I'm like really He's like I literally am so into Hell right now and like that's how <laughs> Cenobites are too And I'm like yeah. oh that's interesting Yeah I'm okay with Putting a vet horizon in that in that category it's
1: we might as well i'm just like fine
2: it's fine it's cool like no one's gonna like (laughs) you know if you want to write a strongly worded letter like that's fine but
1: (laughs) (laughs) we will write one back that just says (laughs) okay listen it's rule of cool it's rule of cool if it's the coolest thing then that's what it is so Because it's cool, that's how it goes. (laughs) Because it sounds neat, Event Horizon is Hellraiser. God. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the comics. Now, I know that you didn't quite get through the comics. That's OK. No, We're, mostly read, like, talking... yeah. <laughs> We're mostly talking. We're mostly talking. Well, you bought it, though. So I mean, you you already took the first step. It's a 500-page omnibus. I think it's like 530 pages. Yeah. And it's the Boom series, right? So yes. from you know this time period, Clyde Barker returned. He, the man who will not be referenced, Mark Millar. They do a comic mm-hmm. together. Like, they continue the story of Kirsty and uh, just, like, the Cinnabites, basically, to the complete fruition. They bring back the Lady Cinnabite from the first two movies. And I'm Ty. not, like, I'm not being sexist. Like, that's the name of the Lady Cinnabite is the, like, the yeah, girl one. It's it is. It's, like, literally the name. The Lady Cinnabite comes back. Tiffany comes back. Oh. And she's going around the planet trying to destroy all of the limit configurations. Good luck. Oh,
2: Tiffany does that. That's amazing.
1: That's kind of how it starts out. So there's a ton of really cool stuff to read in that. We already promised that it will come back. But I want to say definitely mm. that if you have re- watched the first two movies and you're like, God, these characters are great. I really wish that they had continued their story. Yeah. Guess what? They did. So you can read the comic <laughs> <Son> <laughs> because they all shit. come back. And that was another really good thing that I think Clyde Barker oversaw was kind of giving this complete story. It kind of starts to meander at a certain point, but I don't care. I love it. I thought it was really good. The art is incredible. Wonderful, wonderful book. Continues all of the same. Like, you see what what Kirstie's story leads to. It's just incredible. So if you want right. to continue the story, read the comic, don't watch Hellraiser 3, 4... <laughs> five six seven eight nine and ten yeah i would say at varying degrees of success because i still find a lot to love about three four five six and you saw three and four so we can really briefly address those two
2: okay uh yeah no like three to me was like oh we just want to party and like be a little bit like it was just all about being at that in that club it's like oh jp
3: Oh, JP. J- JP, It's uh-huh. like, how
2: the fuck are you so rich and you own all this shit? Like, you're literally five. Like, I don't know what's going on here. I mean, I'm sure the story, I'm sure it was like, oh, well, you know, I inherited this because something tragic happened to me. It was just like party central. There's like a reporter that's like, oh, well, I really want to know about this stuff. And this is like, this is a, sh- this is a movie where Kirsty comes in only as a videotape that uh, Joey, the the blossoming reporter or whatever, mm-hmm. she's like, I want a career. And it's like, you should have a career because you are a real gumshoe, my friend. <laughs>
1: and- <laughs> you really cracked the case of I mean, Pinhead. She, she did a good job.
2: Uh, you know, she found those videos of Kirsty talking about the Cenobites she was like i'm gonna take terry in you know undercover lover and like i mean not really i just know that that was something that you had talked about how terry and joey
1: are (laughs) they're (laughs) teresa and carol from the price of salt um
2: (laughs) i'm sorry let's cut that
1: (laughs) no i want to keep that because i am obsessed with them (laughs) I love those too. I yeah. think that they are very great, and I think too that it is very Teresa and Carol because Joey's kind of like, I just want to help her, yeah. and Terry's just like, I kind of want a mommy, you know, yes. like in a sexy way. I mean, <laughs> and yeah, you're just like okay, I know um, it's like the way they it's make not breakfast. to be. You know, sorry. The breakfast scene kills me. And I remember being very young and being like, this feels like a vibe between those two. So A, I was gay very early. And and B, I think that the vibes are there. If you're a queer person, you're probably going to be like... Joey and Terry, yeah, something's happening. You're gonna feel the tension. You're gonna feel a little bit. <laughs> you're gonna feel the tension. You're gonna. Although really... <laughs> I will say, Terry is going through a terrible breakup with a terrible human being, and then yes. also there's a whole bunch of horrible things going on with her through the movie. So I, that's one of those characters where I'm like, she deserved better. This is like terrible to her. I don't know. I mean, you didn't have to go that far. <laughs> Yeah, like if she would have just stayed with Joey and just would
2: have been like, it's okay, and I don't know. But also, it's like, I don't want to blame her because like, she's got a lot of like shit on her plate. And so, of course, she's just gonna, yeah, of course, she's gonna feel a certain way about things and, and do what she needs to do to feel safe. You know, I feel like that's like Terry's story. And sometime, and I know, I I really, I really, uh you know, empathize with Terry. And so do I. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, emphasize, or empath- <laughs> I empathize with <laughs> Joey, too. Me I think too. that Joey is really a fun character. Yes. That was kind of the thing was it was a movie where the two women that were kind of leading everything up were kind of cooler than the movie, I guess. Yeah. And So the whole time, like, this is where Pinhead kind of flies off the rails and stops being scary and starts being really oh, goofy, kind yeah. of, because yeah. it's all one-liners S- now. Stigma. And it's not to say that it wasn't before, because your suffering will be legendary even in hell is quite the quote but I also have to say that like that's what it all becomes right is like after that every time he shows up soundbite make a gif out of it you know like send it to your friends as a meme um, mm-hmm. and that was like everything that he said was always kind of just like written to be to go viral right like before yeah. viral existed but that version of it where it's like give everybody like a little thrill by throwing out a one liner <laughs> (laughs)
2: well and i feel like the third is when we start seeing those one-liners in a string of several one-liners like he has like so much more he has he has way more lines in like towards the end you know he's like oh i'm going to tell you about how I feel about Jesus Christ. And it's like, oh my God, like stop it. And then like the fourth one is way worse where it's just like Pinhead talks like several, several times. And we don't really need to hear from you, honestly. Like that's how I feel about Pinhead especially. I'm like, I just need to hear you like once or twice in the movie and that's it. Like the way it was written in the Hellbound Heart was probably the best iteration of any of this. You know, that's my take on that because it's like when you start giving Pinhead too many words, it just becomes less
1: interesting. Oh my god, yeah. It's just like, (laughs) shut up. (laughs) Like... Stop texting me.
2: <laughs> I know. It's like, I get it. You already said it. Like,
1: you didn't have to say it twice. Like, that's the whole thing. It does become like that. Because as we talked about at the top of the hour, right, is like, we're basically saying this is a character that's way better mysterious. Like, yeah. please don't go delving. They do delve into his backstory a little bit. Sure. And then he's like, you know... A tragic figure who yeah. used to be human. You were human once. You know, like... Yeah. That stuff is kind of like, sure, okay, they were human once. We don't need to know anything else, though. Like, with some of... I want to hear what happened with all of the other Cenobites. Me too! I don't particularly care about what happened to the pinhead because... It doesn't really matter. So yeah. it's always weird whenever they put all of this, as we said before, like the undue focus on Pinhead is a little strange. It becomes very glaring as the franchise goes on because you're like, yes. this is the thing. Julia was a very strong Antagonist and Pinhead is not that strong of an antagonist because the whole introduction kind of posits him as this character who doesn't give a shit either way. Like in the hellbound heart, he has this moment where, uh, yeah, he's just like, I guess we like misread everything with Frank. Um, (laughs) Like, you know, like I, I, it seemed like he wanted one thing, but I don't know. By the end, it just seemed like he wasn't that into it. And it's like, well, we have to continue torturing him. He did bring this on himself and he a horrible piece of shit, you know? So, like, we've got our hooks and we don't particularly want to kill Kirsty. So, like, let's let's continue to torture Frank. Yeah, like, we're yeah. familiar with him. He's also annoying us now. Like, he's trying to be, like, all, like, I beat you and guess what you didn't. You know, the whole thing, I think, was, like, it. it's better for it to be kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess we should torture the shit out of Frank, yeah. I just love that kind of casual behavior towards it. Whereas, yes. yeah, as time goes on, it's like, Pinhead is like, I'm against you personally. And like kind of weird. Yeah. Very like biased and strange and doesn't have like solid chain of logic anymore. Since these movies are fairly disappointing the, we can talk very briefly about the (laughs) I, I include very briefly because the space hellraiser is um, oh god, the isn't it one. better if it's just event horizon like straight up like we um, have sh- we already had a space hellraiser.
2: <laughs> I know. So this is like when I first okay yeah I'm gonna just leave whatever I was gonna say before out of this because now you've just like given me a new shiny box. Um, <laughs> so
1: oh, because we didn't talk about camera face. <laughs>
2: no we didn't no, talk no. about cd head i was just gonna res- i forget what i was even gonna s- respond i was like oh yeah like i was like oh yeah yeah deep deep i'm gonna <laughs> say something deep uh, so anyway but you- then you were like oh hellraiser for and i was like wait what it's <laughs> uh- <laughs> hellraiser in space through time uh- time and space I know. I'm like, oh, past lives. Oh, wow. Hellraiser 4 was the first Hellraiser I ever saw. And it was, now I'm wondering, I I feel like it was like, I was very, I was, I had like a fever, like kids get fevers all the time or whatever. And my, I think either my dad or my brother was watching me. And one of them was like, oh, let's watch Hellraiser 4. And I was like nine years old. And I was like, I can't even – I have a fever, so who cares, you know? And so, then they turn it on and I'm like, holy shit! I mean, it was terrifying, but it was also like kind of like cheeky in a way. And I was like, ew, (laughs) this is weird. Ever since then, I just like really loved Hellraiser because it was – that was like a really weird introduction to it, I think, to have Hellraiser 4 when you're nine years old on a – you know, having a (laughs) fever, like – be
1: introduced
2: to it, I was like, What is,
1: is-, is the Adam oh. Scott scene is like a fever dream
2: <laughs> it is, <I> mean, regardless, <laughs> yeah, and imagine what it's like to have a fever while watching it for the first time. I like, can't I just I just remember it being like, I was like, whoa this is like really, really forbidden, and it's like why am I watching this right now? You know it was just really weird. I just don't really like, yeah. like drops of blood like I'm trying to like tune in to me as a child but then i watched it again like a week ago and it's like incredibly cheesy and also kind of cool though because i do love space like 90s space stories i think they're like really cool
1: they are this one doesn't make any sense no well okay (laughs) they're like space and Time toy. Makeup. Question mark, Question mark. I know. This
2: is like. Well, this guy made a fucking toy, and I don't know how he made it so that it could open up a portal to hell. But here we are. We're just gonna go with it, you know. And then Angelique is the hottest and the she best. Fun. Yeah, and and she's also like really terrifying. So. You
1: know. She's so scary. She's it's another movie where you're like the one woman in this movie is like the best part and I can kind of like get rid of everything else except for Adam Scott <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> because that part's just funny. But yeah, yeah, it's sure. such a weird thing where you just go, um, yeah, I don't know about it. I don't know about that movie. It's kind of goofy. There's mm-hmm. a lot of gore in it, like mm-hmm. the amount that I guess you would expect from a Hellraiser movie, but it's very pointless. They get really excited about the twin thing. Yeah. They're so excited about it, right? Like, they're just like having a blast doing the twin thing, and it's like, this isn't that good. But, because it's like the twins, like, form together later, and mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. number mm-hmm. five, they do the detective story, and then he has the wire twins, and the wire twins are significantly more fun, because they're just dancing around and being super fucking weird like they're um, dancing like kind of erotically I guess the whole time and so you're just like yikes like (laughs) you see them be like very sexy but they're Cenobites and that's kind of like terrifying right but same with like Angelique she's a really fun character but yeah just it doesn't do anything with her really and they do kind of introduce her as like what if Julia was a Cenobite kind of vibe wise and then it just doesn't go anywhere So it's like, it's a start stop movie where like the whole time you're like, this is going to be cool. Right. And then it's just like, not really, (laughs) but I still like it. It's like goofy. And then I will say that the fifth and sixth ones are like, okay, they're kind of the same. Like they try really hard to be like deep and you know, they don't super succeed at that, Uh, but they're not the worst. And then it does get like really bad after (laughs) that because it, once again, you're just not even really dealing with, um, Hellraiser as a concept anymore. Like they just kind of whatever is happening now is not what we signed on to this franchise for. Yes, so, yes. Speaking of.
2: <laughs> Ooh, I do have one more thing to say about the fourth one. Yeah. What is it? Well, just that oof, the the earliest like where it's like, oh, like where, where the toy maker is making all the toys and stuff making like that box the person's house that they go to i feel like they're really giving like a marquee to sod they're like oh yeah like where the marquee just like just i don't know just that kind of vibe and i'm like it was disgusting that's all i had to say
1: (laughs) yeah Yeah, it was Mm -hmm. you're right (laughs) Mm -hmm. the newest hellraiser has just come out so this is spoiler City. Uh-huh. I want to talk about this movie. So, I, we both talked about how before we got on the call weeks ago, forever, we love this movie. So, yeah. we're obsessed with it and we're so excited to see a return to old timey Hellraiser. And I think that though the themes did significantly change, like it's very interesting now because media will have like a queer character be openly uh-huh. queer, but then that means that. Like some of the themes of queerness are kind of gone. So, like, you have um a queer couple who are in love and like open about it, and mm-hmm. they live in this place, and it's not a deal, like, nobody talks about it, nobody's talking about like how you're gay or like what that has to do with your life. So, there's just no conversation around it. So, as we were talking a little bit earlier, I think that Hellraiser is a franchise that has a ton of queer themes that are very subtle and they allow yeah. you to kind of explore that. Um, you know in your own mind and kind of think about a lot of the serious shit that was going on around this time like you can't to me you can't divorce Hellraiser from AIDS you -hmm. know like a lot of the things that were like seriously affecting the queer community so I think too you like watch kind of the olden days and there is still this like this kind of surprising level of queerness to it even though you're definitely dealing with like the classic like my brother is having an affair with my wife and like yes. you know it's it's very straight you know like on the surface but there's a lot of themes in it that make you be like this is a very queer movie and so I think with this one it had a, a queer like the pinhead of course queer person and then you have uh, the couple and yes. so it's like there's multiple A like people who in life are like LGBTQ people mm-hmm. and then you have also queer characters, and yet that kind of means that the themes change a little bit to where it's like that's not the focus anymore. So now instead, we're telling this story that where there are like characters in this story. So it's kind of normalized in a different way, but that also it's like you almost lose something and gain something at the same time. It's always a really weird thing, hmm. like with how queer media has changed over time because yeah. it's like, yeah, you're it's like the same with like X Men or something where you're like, X Men, you used to have to like dig for like the queer themes but you would always be able to find them and the themes were kind of like baked into the concept in this way where it was like people fear and hate the mutants for things that they can't help about themselves and like you know that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and like you know they they grow to embrace it but like you know it's something that everybody else hates about them and like all of this there's a lot of queer allegory there but now it's like you read x-men and that's kind of gone but you actually have out queer characters And it's like, it's not entirely gone, right? But it's like a lot of the queer themes of like we're hated and feared and like all of that kind of stuff is gone. And so it's like, or at least they're not dealing with it anymore. They're like on a different, Plain. And so I think that there's just something interesting about that. It, it just kind of reminded me of each other. And then it like reminded me of a lot of other things too. The Cenobites are still here. Yes. We changed our focus to talk more about addiction, right? And how addiction and the lament configuration really are very strongly intertwined. Yeah. Right?
2: Yes. And like, okay, so I, I think the way the Cenobites were portrayed in this newest version were most compatible with the hellbound heart because in the hellbound heart it was explicit that they were quite androgynous, that Frank like couldn't tell, like their genitals were taken away and that, you know, all this like weird stuff. And but basically that they just like he he was like, I don't know, what gender this voice is i don't know what gender this body is i don't know you know this this and that the senate bites were like well we don't really give a shit like what you think or you know it was just like all right Cool. That's not really something that we're concerned about. And I felt like the Cenobites in this iteration were also similarly honor- yeah. honoring that, you know.
1: The motivation of just being like we truly don't give a shit. Yeah. About like, um, I don't know. You
2: you're you're wrapped up in some stuff that like we have we don't want anything a part of. You know, we don't want to be a part of that, you know. <laughs> we want nothing to do with. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I really, really liked the Cenobites in this one. I don't know. I think I read some stuff about how they're like, oh, where's where's the original Pinhead? I forget his name now. Doug Bradley? Doug Bradley. There we go. Yes. And it's like, this is just a different, it's a new generation, I suppose.
1: Now, now we've got Pilf, the Pinhead I'd like to fuck. <laughs> yeah. Somehow, all of a sudden, uh, Pinhead is really hot.
2: Yes. I looked up earlier today how many pins Pinhead has in their head
1: (laughs) how many pens would a pen
2: (laughs) okay yeah (laughs) well answers.com confidently said 130 so (laughs) i was like okay but yeah i just yeah it's interesting like the 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 addiction side of it i was surprised that we had not explored that yet in the hellraiser world because I feel like Hellraiser is always about dependence on something, no matter what it is. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I think that you're right like they hadn't explicitly taken somebody whose pleasure was um, was drugs Substances. right because I feel yeah. like that's like what she's about like she has yeah. this relationship with someone who she refers to as a cute boy Yeah. but you can tell a lot of their relationship is based around the fact that they have kind of shared toxic habits and yes that's fine like God knows we've all been there in some way shape um, or form Absolutely. But you definitely have something that even on paper, even right off the bat, her brother's like, I don't like that guy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she's just like, why? You're just mad. You know, all of this. Mm-hmm. You're upset. I'm having fun. <laughs> And he's like, are you having fun? Like, it doesn't seem like it. She just, you know, the way that this movie is shot, right, is like so beautiful. And I I think that they really made it work with like the CGI. You know, like there's been so many technological advancements since the original Hellraiser was made. So there's a ton of things where they were running Mm -hmm. out of budget left and right, where now it's like we just did that in post. Like, you know, we have artists who are out here animating like massive parts of this movie yeah, and yeah. I think it looked v- like I'm a big fan of practical effects like I uh, there's no mm-hmm. beating that mm-hmm. original Hellraiser even the moments where it is kind of like shaky because they're kind of trying to get through with no money oh, I, I think that it. that you can't forget you know how beautiful that scene of the skeleton and like all of the goo and yes. you know when and Frank is like rising up oh my yeah, god yeah absolutely disturbing gross stuff but it's oh. also just a truly beautiful full scene in the yeah, movie. Yeah. Stop that's animation is amazing. Yeah. Know? It's like, if you've seen that scene, you know what I'm talking about immediately. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that's maybe one of the most memorable scenes in horror history and even film history. Right. Yes, so I agree. I think that there's a lot to say about it, but then it's like, you look at this new one and I think that they did wonderfully because they were really allowed to kind of go off. Right. So yeah. the cinebites, they introduced some new cinebites, which made me very happy. We have a new pinhead. I love Loved all of this. Like, don't even care what happened to the old Pinhead. It's cool. Love you, Doug Bradley. You did an incredible job. But you need but a break. Doug, you need Doug a break, Bradley and you, just, you truly got... went through hell in those movies because you were not given a lot of very good content.
2: Well, also, like putting on those costumes apparently was like super <sighs> painful. So, like, <sighs> thank, like thank you, Doug Bradley, for your service because thank it you was for really your amazing.
1: <laughs> but it also meant that we could afford things like the house that's covered with oh my god gears and stuff like all over it's like this huge mansion
2: yeah this like very there's a macrocosm of the box like yeah there's yeah. like yeah.
1: cages yeah. everywhere oh like goodness. all of that which made this be a great movie I know I that, loved and it and so like that was really cool then there's this whole um <laughs> like you know the fact that the walls are moving and all of that stuff that yeah. stuff that they had to work really hard to pull off in those first two movies and now they can just do it in an Animation,
2: yeah, and it was like they were like we're literally tearing. We have people on either side of this set, like pulling apart this wall, making it look realistic. You know, like it was, you know, stop animation. It was also like real sets, I guess. So, (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) which
2: we don't have now. We have computers to do that. So.
1: Yeah, I think that they did a good merge with this one because I I felt like that's it is like I love practical effects. I also love CGI. I think that the way that you get a perfect movie is a little bit of a combination where if one of them has a failing, then the other one picks up the slack. And Mm -hmm. also CGI artists work really goddamn hard, you know, so it's like there's not to it's like because I feel like there's this idea that like practical effects like that's like hard work in the trenches and then you have like CGI cgi and people are like that's bullshit you do on a computer yeah and it's just like either way people are like not paid enough and overworked and doing way too much you know Mm -hmm. not to say like that's the experience that the people on this film had specifically but in the industry overall people are just underpaid and they work really hard and it's the same if you're a practical effects artist or if you're you know a cgi artist yeah either way you're working your ass off
2: they're just different ways of doing it right You
1: know, they can help each other. Uh,
2: Augment one and the other.
1: That's like the best way to do it every time. Yes. that's how it is with like when people were worried about you know the transfer to digital sound it's just oh, like why just... don't you all just figure out how to work together and that's whenever everything gets really good
2: I know I know like oh one does not exclude the other you know yeah so
1: I mean they used it for L it was worth here because like I said there's all kinds of things where it's like we would have gotten similar like a couple of the similar scenes like there's that scene in the hospital that we might have still been able to get it, but it probably would have been abbreviated mm-hmm. and i loved that that scene was able to breathe right because that was a terrifying death like you were just like no no not the cinebites not I this know. lady she's clearly awful but she doesn't uh, like she, it you know she she was, she's like dying and she was like the executive
2: assistant you know like She's, she was someone who like really, really knew everything, but was also just someone who could really remove herself. And I think she believed that, where yeah. she was like, yeah, I mean, I just did what I was told and I was close enough to really know about it. But like, it's not my life. And she did away with the box and then it fucking
1: came back. That's like the part where you're just like, no, you did everything. And she knew it was coming. And that was even worse. I know. Just that scene where she's just like going through the hospital and you're just like, oh, you don't have a chance. When she was
2: accidentally cut. That's like when we really hate it. But she was like, she's like, I did it to myself. And you're like, and you're like God yes! damn it. Oh you kind of
1: did.
2: It's like, that's like, that carries a lot of weight, what you just said.
1: <laughs> yeah. And the fact that she was just like face to face with death. Let's fucking go. I, I guess know. like, fuck this. <sighs> that guy still is alive. We find out. But then uh, he's mm-hmm. like completely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm turned himself into a little maze himself. and Inside so out,
2: in a way. yeah,
1: Things just get worse and worse from there. Yeah, But you have, yeah, just basically I think this new character was great. I think that this new protagonist, the central protagonist, I think she was awesome. I would love to see more with her. Yeah. I think the actor was really great. I loved, you know, her relationship with her brother because sometimes you really do fight with your brother over nothing. And then the fact that you could lose your sibling right as you were having like the stupidest fight right is like Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. heartbreaking it's a fear fear. and it's something that a lot of us who have siblings that we're close to if you have an argument with them it's like a lot of times you just if that was like the last time i had talked to that person that would have been so awful you know like you Mm -hmm. would just regret it for the rest of your life yeah So that's what she takes on, the lament configuration, right? So she decides that she's just going to choose regret. And like you were saying at the very beginning, but that's it, like the lament configuration, is the end, but it also ties back to the whole beginning of the conversation because the lament configuration is what she chooses. First of all, we don't know what the lament configuration means until this movie. Like Mm -hmm. The boxes are called the lament configuration, but we don't know what that means. And it turns out that the lament configuration is the box not doing anything, right? Like the box in its original form.
2: It's the moment we meet it, and we're already in the lament configuration, aren't we? Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's like you can choose to try to change but like ultimately <sighs> you'll
2: always be saddled with all the stuff that you
1: put on yourself. Right. So, so like as Kirsty tries to go find her dad in hell <sighs> <laughs> and isn't able to because it's just Frank fucking with her. She knows that her brother's gone. So well her
2: her dad. Well yes as Riley
1: she knows yeah. her dad is gone.
2: And then Kirsty. Does she know that her... That her dad is gone. She though. learns
1: in the second movie after she, she finds Frank, right? So yeah, yeah it's like basically finally. she finds out that she was called there for nothing. We don't see a reconciliation with that, though. She no. still is trying to get her dad back through the entire movie. Yeah, um, yeah. and then it kind of goes off the rails because she's like, maybe he is gone. I don't really know. I don't, I don't think that that's really concluded in a, any kind of a proper way. But it
2: isn't. Yeah, but but in this one, we really do get like Riley being like just just realizing in the middle of it pretty much you know just being like my brother's not fucking here anymore and I gotta figure out how to get the fuck out of this because like you're like
1: spooky wraith version of my brother isn't my brother
2: (laughs) yeah you know she's like oh here you are and then she's like oh I'm hugging like Frank body you know like like you know like a very jelly like skinless person you know a, a Julia if you will you know Mm-hmm. and she but she's not seduced by that like so so in this one no one she doesn't even like hear the call to get skin you know she's like yeah, yeah. no I can't fucking do that like, <laughs> I don't even think that anyone could convince her she's pretty she's like a very strong character
1: yeah that was it I think she yeah. kind of had this surprising strength at the end of the movie <sighs>
2: Yeah, she was always really defiant, like even uh, you know, I mean, it, it, but yeah. Being that strong to just be like, I'm going to live with this. And that's going to be what I have to do to make sure that no one else suffers. I think this is, that's what she kind of thought she was taking on, you know?
1: Yeah, it's always very interesting. I thought that that whole ending was just kind of like chef's kiss a little bit. And I loved the whole movie. That was it too, though. Is like, I loved... Jamie Clayton, who could be a better pen head? I mean, <laughs> I know that was fucking tight. A plus, like, I knew it was going to be great the second somebody even said those words. And then you're just like, the fact that they just wait for like an hour, they like let half of the movie go and then they drop in Pinhead for a hot second and then Pinhead's gone again. (laughs) And then comes back later and does basically the same shit we said before, where it's just kind of like, oh, that was weird. Yeah, we thought this guy was going to be really good at this, but he's kind of bad at it.
2: I know. And also, this is where the rims of sensation come in. Like, that that Pinhead says that. And, like, I'm weirdly turned on and also really, like, f- like not okay with it. Like,
1: it's like, so don't. funny to me because I was, like, I know that, like, I've heard Clive Barker say that Pinhead got, like, love letters from women and stuff. And Ew. he was, like, it's wild ah. because Pinhead's never done a decent thing ever. No. And, no. like, you know, he's a horrible character. He's, like, a bad person. I know. He has never done anything redeeming. There's nothing like good about him. But like people are like want to marry him, Ew. and I was like, that's ah! so weird and strange. And then there's Jamie Clayton Pinhead, and I'm I just know. like, well, that's oh not- no. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it too I think I that Pinhead's you're, hot now Oh no You're like where are my stamps Where, my, where are my ah, envelopes I'm know. gonna start writing ah. Pinhead love letters too <laughs> It's so upsetting But it's just how it has to be And it's because you see those photos Of Jamie Clayton Like holding the limit configuration And being Jamie Clayton Like just oh. being regular dress Jamie Clayton Jamie Clayton's like 45 old years old it looks like I don't even know a 45 year old who's extremely hot yeah And just like, I don't even know. I'm always just like, what the hell? I'm so glad you got this role. She seemed like she was super into it. So yeah, I love I love when people do genre things and they're super into it. It reminds me of like Jennifer Tilly and Chucky movies where she's just like, (laughs) I love being Tiffany. I love it. And I'm just like, yes, yeah, I love it, too. (laughs) I'm here with you. Like it helps you love it because that person is just so enthusiastic about it.
2: Yeah, and like even – Okay, like even like The Walking Dead, The Tales of the Walking Dead, that episode of the Parker Posey, that was an episode that I thought was really, really – It's like, oh, wow, like you maybe don't do this often or maybe this is like not your thing, but this is – You're clearly having an amazing time and you're doing a really great job. (laughs) Like you're really, really like convincing me (laughs) and I think you should do this more often, you know? (laughs) Like
1: like no, for sure. Like, please be a genre queen, even yeah. though you already are Parker Posey, because I Parker Posey has been in like everything: Lost in Space, mm. Superman, fucking, <laughs> um, Best a million other show. movies, Blade. Yeah. Um, oh my God, I love Blade yeah. Three. Oh my oh shoot
2: oh
1: yeah i love parker posey anyway yeah me too i think that might be about what we've got for hellraiser for right now i think that this conversation has been amazing i love this franchise so much i don't know anybody else who loves it as much as i do except for you okay i think that the people who i know that really really like it like my brother preston Mm -hmm. they really really like it but they're not quite on the level where it's just like i well for me read all the comics read the book. there's also a anthology that I saw that was based in the universe. It's a novel, but it has a bunch of different writers doing Hellraiser okay. stories. And it's just a book anthology. I don't remember what the name of it is. I have it on hold right now at the library. Support your local library. Yes. And um, I'm so excited to read it whenever it shows up because it just looks awesome. But I love that was kind of what I was saying about the minutiae of this thing is, is that we're probably going to do a whole other comic book episode, and that's going to be a whole two-hour conversation. It's like, this is such a rich universe. We barely covered all of the movies. like yeah. We talked about only a few of them. Yeah. So this is such an incredibly rich franchise, and I am just so grateful that we got to actually sit and talk about it.
2: Oh, me too. Um I... <laughs> yeah I'm super grateful as well and I'm so glad that like we were able to do this
1: it was just great and uh, yeah you'll be very excited to be like oh there's all these other cinnabites that are so creepy Mm -hmm. um (laughs) there's a universe of like weird ass cinnabites uh awaiting you such sights to show you Yeah, in fact (laughs) super stoked about that yeah so uh go ahead and tell everybody just one more time where they can find you because uh you're still it's like mostly the seed beads account right
2: yeah um it's seed beads all over the floor
1: and we will link to it in the show notes as well
2: Mm -hmm. seed beads underscore all underscore over underscore the underscore floor
1: (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise known as seed beads under the floor, on the floor. Okay, yeah, yeah, we'll figure this out. Yeah,
2: I mean, (laughs) I'm not good at marketing myself, so...
1: That's okay. I highly recommend that people check it out because I just really love the designs that you come up with. And I think that people will be able to see the connection between like the meticulousness of Hellraiser and the beautiful patterns that you come up with. So Uh,
2: yeah, I'm starting to see the connections too. (laughs) shit. I'm like, Oh, no, I'm gonna open it up. That's not good.
1: You're gonna straight (laughs) up make a pattern that is the lament configuration and I'm going to be like
2: Emily no! I know and I'll be like I just made my masterpiece it's like oh no <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> it's like a pattern but it's also a puzzle shit <laughs> oh my god well you know here we go again let's look forward to that <laughs> <laughs> yay
3: Nowadays, trends and news cycles change faster than we can blink. But there are some things that withstand the test of time. And if you're looking for a connection to something timeless, and maybe also a glimpse of life at a slower pace, I believe everyone can relate to the very human experiences explored in Jane Austen's novels. And that's where I come in. My name is Alison Larkin. I'm a writer, comedian, and narrator and host of The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin. I spent a lot of my childhood in the part of England where Jane Austen lived and wrote, and now that I live in the States, nothing gives me a sense of homecoming quite like narrating her books. On this show, you'll listen to award-winning narration – I'll give myself a pat on the back for that – as well as conversations with actors, writers and other fascinating people who all share a passionate love for Jane Austen. So please, join me as we embark on a wonderful journey through Jane Austen's work. Be sure to listen and subscribe to The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin wherever you get your podcasts.